And we do agree in prayer for Pastor Darren today. Thank you for joining us. We are so excited to be with you in spirit and are looking forward to the day soon when we'll be able to come together um, more physically. And it won't be long. We'll talk about that in just a minute. In fact, today we want to focus on two things. We want to focus a little bit on where we've been because we believe that it's time for us to begin to refocus and get back on track. Uh, this, this thing, this virus has had us all distracted a little bit for a few weeks and we've served the Lord well and we've encouraged each other well, but we have a mission and we have a focus. So we want to talk a little bit today about some foundations we laid in the first part of the year and we're going to pick them up, especially as we begin to talk about coming back together. Um, we also need to uh, talk about where we're going in the future. And that's what I want to do for just a few moments today. Pastor Justin mentioned to you that we have some reopening information and we do. Let me say this, lest I forget it. Um, tomorrow afternoon late or Tuesday, probably Tuesday um, at the latest, you will receive a link to a video that is explaining our reopening plan in detail. You will also receive an email. Uh, it's a lot of detail. It's about four pages that will tell you the plan step by step. And for those of you that might not have an email account, we'll also send it out through the postal service. But we are happy to announce that with the help of the Lord, we will reopen with live services on June 7th. June 7th. It's just a couple of weeks away. Um, what we have developed is um, a four-phase reopening plan that will occur over the next 90 days or so. And the letter and the video will give it to you in complete detail. But let me mention a couple of things just so you can begin to think uh, about what we're going to be doing. First of all, I want to say that live streaming these services has been a godsend for us. It has impacted so many lives. People have come to know the Lord and it's held our church family together. With that in mind, um, also knowing that some people are a little reluctant to come out to public places still, also knowing that we have restrictions um, requiring social distancing, we have to realize we can't get everybody in the building at one time. So we've made a decision to continue live stream indefinitely. And what I mean by that, until... God gives us a greater technology. We're going to, from this point forward, have the live stream services. That will be to the benefit of those who um, are, for one reason or another, unable to be with us here on campus at the sanctuary. Um, we also have expanded our family. We have some wonderful friends and loved ones that have joined us as part of the church family during this um, live streaming event, and they want to continue to be part of the family. So live streaming will continue regardless of a return to service um, and your presence here on campus. But let me tell you about this plan very briefly. Uh, we, we have a phase one that begins in June, phase two in July, phase three in August, and phase four is really what we hope is the beginning of 
um, a, a full return to our schedule and things that we do. June 3rd, that's Wednesday night, beginning June 3rd, the youth will be returning to the union service with Pastor Mike. Social distancing will be observed. But over in the Brown Chapel, we have the means to um, get the whole group of youth in and still observe social distancing. And we're also opening the midweek Bible study where we come together to study the scriptures and to have special prayer. And um, we're opening that up to whosoever will may come. With this understanding, if we have a heavy turnout, you might be asked to come back next week. We might have to limit those that come in because of the seating uh, uh, limitations, but we think we'll be okay on Wednesday night. But then that Sunday, June 7th, we will begin, uh, along with our live streaming, we will have a service. It'll be one service just for the month of June, like we have it right now at 10 o'clock. And this is the odd part, but we've had to divide. In order to get everybody in, we've had to divide the congregation into four groups. And I know it's not ideal, but it's better than this. And we're asking you to observe your Sunday, and we have just one service a Sunday for the month of June. Everyone will have an assigned time that they can come to church. That will enable us to get hopefully as many in as possible. You see, 2,879 people call Christian Life home. And we don't have that many at any given time. We, we couldn't seat everybody if everybody showed up. But even with social distancing, um, we can still have a good crowd, but we need to work together for that month. So again... June 7th begins for four weeks, um, kind of a staggered attendance schedule. We'll let you know all the details of that. One live service at 10, uh, 10 o'clock, which will also be live stream. Um, and then in July, we'll open up more. We'll go back to the two service schedule and uh, we'll resume our child care. We'll resume children's church. Uh, if you bring your children in June, they'll have to sit with you just for the month of June, but we'll open it up in July and then we'll open up further in August and hopefully phase four, we'll be back to um, uh, a full operational schedule. But we'll tell you more about that. What you need to do right now is be watching for the email and the video that should be in your box by Tuesday, the link in the, in the email, and then um, be ready for us to begin on June 7th. We've, we've got a lot of work to do between now and then, and we're, that'll give us time to get it done. It'll give, give us time to get word to everybody, and um, we, we are so excited that we're going to be able to begin to come back together. Now, we realize that uh, the plan can be accelerated if things in society go well, the virus subsides, we can accelerate it. There's the possibility we might have to slow it down at some point, but that's our plan. It's going to be a summer of coming back together, and we are so excited and cannot wait to see you. Now, about the message today, what I want to do for a couple of weeks, today, next week, is to have a review. We here at Christian Life have always operated on what we believed was a theme that God gave us for the year. 
This year, we began with the theme, Building Godly Generations. We said that we want to be a house, a sanctuary, where God's glory is manifest, but God also wants his glory to be manifest in our homes. We want our children to walk in our spiritual heritage. We want to hand off to them what's been instilled in us by the Holy Spirit. Now we've got visions of greater things for our children and for the next generation. We've often said we want our ceiling to become their floor. In other words, what God has helped us to move into we want that to be the starting point for the next generation. And we believe that God's doing a phenomenal work called uh, Building Godly Generations. That's our theme for this year. The, the idea of building godly generations has been predicated upon what may seem a little passe, a little out of date, but it's the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are not just thou shalt nots. They are that. And don't be fooled by some preaching you might hear that says the Ten Commandments are just ten suggestions. And, and uh, they, are, they are thou shalt nots. But this is the thing about God. God loves us so much. You remember, there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing you can do that will make him love you less. Every thou shalt not from the mouth of God is an I love you. God, God is not operating from some capricious personality where he moves in to break up the party and makes everything that's, uh, uh, you know, fun, either illegal, immoral, or fattening. That's not the God that we serve. Whenever God says thou shalt not, it's because he has a better idea, a better plan. So the Ten Commandments are viewed as ten foundation stones. Now, what we mean by foundation stones is we go back to the passage where Jesus said the wise man builds his house upon the rock. We could expand that a little bit and say the wise man builds his house upon the rocks, the foundation stones of the Ten Commandments. And we were going to take, before COVID broke out, we were going to take 10, uh, or excuse me, one of those 10 stones a month and present it to the congregation and build throughout the year. And that's what we want to resume doing. But before COVID came, we had only been able to get through the first two stones. And the first stone was, em was embracing. The first commandment says that uh, we are to worship the Lord our God and, um, and him only shall we worship. There's something that we embrace. The second commandment is the stone word rejecting because not only do we worship the Lord and, and embrace him, we reject any other God. The second commandment is you shall not make unto you any graven image. So we've learned the power of embracing and we've learned the power of rejecting. And um, in, a, in a couple of weeks, we'll pick up on the third word, uh, which is based on the, the third uh, commandment. So what we want to do today, I want to go back to that first message of this year. Um, I won't cover it in as much detail perhaps as I did on that opening Sunday, but we want to refocus um, on what we believe God put in our heart for the year. We want to remind ourselves of it because so much has gone on in the last two or three months. It's easy to lose track of where we were going. So we want to refocus and this will help our 
Christian life family get back on track, head in the direction that we were headed before all of this happened. And it will also help the new members of our church family uh, to get on track and understand that you can join us on this journey. Now you say, oh, pastor, I'd rather you just, I, I need encouraging today. Well, I know we all need encouraging. We're all getting a little tense. We're, it's the, the, the restrictions and the quarantines and the social distancing, all of that is getting tedious. I understand that. But um, what I really believe is that the value of refocusing can be found in something Martin Lloyd-Jones said, a great pastor in England. He said it years ago, and when he said it, it shocked me till he explained it. He said, when the people of God are discouraged, they run to encouragement, but that's not what they need. He said, when the people of God are discouraged, we don't need encouragement, we need doctrine. And I thought, whoa, what? What have you been drinking? But what he was saying was this. He says, we can encourage somebody and that encourage can be taken away by somebody else that's a discourager. But if we bring them back to the word of God, if we bring them back to the realization of who God is and what God has done and what he has promised, that's what lifts us out of discouragement. So with that precious promise in mind, wherever you are, let's continue our custom. Let's begin today with the Lord's Prayer. And we encourage you to join us wherever you are as a family. If you're in the car alone, wherever, let's pray together. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As we refocus on the journey we started for 2020, building godly generations, I want to speak to you for a few minutes today about glory on your house. I want you to know that your Christianity is not limited to the few hours that you may spend weekly or monthly at your local house of worship. One of the things that we have learned that's valuable during this time of quarantine, during this time of crisis, is we've learned that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a building. It is a community. It is a family. But God wants glory to settle on our house. In your notes, you see 2 Chronicles 5. I want to show you what God desires to happen in his house. The trumpeters and the musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments. The singers raised their voices and praised to the Lord and sang, He is good, his love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and that cloud was his glory. And the priests could not even perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. 
when we think about the family of God, when we think about Christianity, there are a lot of descriptive phrases that are used to describe us. We're called a field in which a crop is planted. We're called a family in which we build relationships. We're called an army in which we uh, establish righteousness and stand for the truth of the gospel. We're, we are called a body where each of us are a different part of the body and each of us have our own function, but it builds together for the spread of the gospel and the encouragement of the saints. But we are also called a house or God's building. And God has always desired that his house be a place that held his glory. Now he didn't need, and he doesn't need today, a house to manifest his glory. I know that. There are a lot of people that don't think church is really necessary and they say God doesn't need a house. Well, God's never needed a house. In fact, when David suggested building a temple, that was God's response to David. He said, I've never asked you for a house. I've never asked you to build a place for me. But God said to David, what's in your heart is good. It's good because when we have a building, it is a place where we refocus, where it's, it's functionally important that we have a building. But God said it's not the building that's important, it's the glory that fill, uh, fills the building. Now, you go back into Israel's history and you remember Nehemiah and Ezra you remember those great men of God that were reestablishing Israel after they had been sent into captivity. Um, and they went back to Jerusalem after years of exile. And when they got there, it's interesting, the first thing they did was rebuild the temple. They rebuilt the house of God. The second thing they did is then to rebuild the walls. And both reconstruction projects are important. When you become a Christian, it is the equivalent spiritually of what Israel did. They went back into the land and rebuilt the dwelling place of God. The first order of business in all of our lives is to restore God to his place. But right after that, they began to rebuild the walls of the city. And that rebuilding is a spiritual picture of me and you. The rebuilding of our personality, the walls that have been broken down by sin in our mind, in our will, our emotions, our personality. When you follow the steps of Nehemiah, when he went around town, part of the walls were, were leveled completely, just totally destroyed. Others were only marginally damaged. Others were down halfway. And that's the way we are. All of us are flawed to some degree in every area because of what sin has done. Some of us have some pretty strong areas that seem intact. Others of us have, even if we have some intact areas, we've got some areas that seem like absolute disasters. Um, and then there are others of us that just seems like everything's shattered. So God said, restore me, restore my temple, and then I will work with you to rebuild your life. Now, again, we have to say this every time. It doesn't mean that we're re rebuilding our lives in order to get ready for heaven. Jesus makes you ready for heaven. That's it. But he also wants to restore to us 
what sin has damaged and broken in us. And it was a big project. We find at one point, the workers, as they were rebuilding the walls, they held a weapon in one hand and their tool in the other. They, they realize that I've got a work to do for God, but at the same time, God is working to rebuild my life. Now, that helps us understand why we need 10 foundation stones. I'm not going to talk about that long because that's where we're going in the future. But just as a reminder, and it's there in your outlines, um, we said that the 10 commandments were these 10 foundation stones. The first commandment uh, has to do with, with only one God. He is the only God. Key word is embracing. Stone two, no room for idols. The key word is rejecting. Now we've covered that and it'll be available online for those of you that missed it and want to catch up. But in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about stone three, the third commandment, the power of God's name. That key word is knowing. Um, when it says, do not take the name of the Lord, your God in vain. It's not just saying don't cuss. I mean, I think that's a good commandment to keep. Don't cuss or don't use the Lord's name improperly, but at the heart of it is knowing who God is, knowing the sanctity of his name. Stone four is the fourth commandment, the Sabbath principle, and that is the idea of trusting. Now, um, Christians don't, uh, well, some Christians do, we're not forbidden to, but we don't have to observe the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was given to us as a structure and the purpose of the Sabbath, the same thing as the purpose of the temple, the same thing as the purpose of tithing, the purpose of those things were structurally in place to Israel so they could learn principles. So when we talk about remembering the Sabbath, we're talking about remembering the foundation of life called trust. Now, stone five, the, the fifth commandment is a reminder that we're an outpost of heaven. We are a family. Stone six um, is thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not take life improperly or thou shalt not murder. Some translations put it. The key word is life. We are a pro-life people that honor the sanctity of life. Stone seven the seventh commandment, it says, you shall not commit adultery. It's the stone of moral purity. Stone eight is thou shalt not steal. And the word is integrity or wholeness. Stone nine is we live a transparent life. Uh, and that gives us freedom. And then stone 10 is that we are to be content. That we don't covet. We don't grab hold of anything that God doesn't provide for us because he gives us the ability to be content. Now we'll talk about those 10 stones and how we can live a strong and happy life when we build with those stones. But let's go back to the beginning for a few minutes. And I want to talk to you about four principles of uh, glory on your house that we need to reclaim. It's not just for the preacher. It's not just for the uh, monastic. It's not just for the religious zealot. It's for everybody who names Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There are four principles of God's glory in your life that you need to reclaim. And then we'll give just a little bit of explanation as we talk about what your house is. Because if, you're, if we're praying for glory on our house, we need to know what the house is. Here are four principles that we need to reclaim. Number one, God wants to cover his people with his glory. It's not 
for those who have been sainted by the church only. It's not for those that have made some unusual, uh, difficult vow only. But it's for every one of the children of God, from the youngest to the oldest, as my pastor used to say, from the, from the uttermost to the guttermost, every one of us have the promise of God's glory being resident in us. Listen to what the prophet said in Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Isaiah 42 said, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. Now I understand that God says, I, I will not share my glory in the sense of, I will not let anyone be my equal, but he loves to share his glory in the sense that we live in it and we walk in it. When they dedicated the temple, this was in the text we read earlier, they were amazed. The same cloud that had been up in the mountain with Moses and the people were terrified. They said, Moses, you go listen to the Lord and then you bring us a report. That same glory moved down right in the midst among them and they understood many of them for the first time in their life, that God was not transcendent and unreachable, but God wanted to live among them and let them experience his glory. I love when Jesus was born. Uh, he was given the name Jesus by the angel, but he was also said to be called Emmanuel, God with us. God wanted Israel to know that the Lord is not far off. He's up close. He's near. He's personal. He wants us to be full of his presence. He wants us to be full of his favor, of his grace, of his spirit. And that teaches us that God's will is for us to live in fullness, the portion of life and the quality of life. He wants us to live in wholeness. So that's number one. God wants to cover you with his glory. You say, well, it'd be easier if I could get to church. Well, I hope you'll, be, you'll feel covered with glory when you get back to church. But God says your home can be filled with glory. Your automobile can be filled with glory if we're willing to partner with him in the way we live life. Now, here's the second thing we need to reclaim. God wants his glory to be associated with worship and service. Exodus 40 tells us that even when Moses put the courtyard around the tabernacle and the curtains at the entrance to the courtyard, that the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This was even before the temple was completed. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, 2 Chronicles tells us that when the temple was dedicated, there was music, there was worship, there was celebration connected to it. So God says, I want to cover you with my glory. And he says this, the easiest path, the most direct path to my glory 
is through worship and service. God doesn't put on a show for us. There were characters in the New Testament that wanted Jesus to perform a miracle for them, but he wouldn't do that. It, it, it was not the way that he operated. He never said, let me show you a trick so you will believe. Because if your heart is hardened against the presence of God, it doesn't matter what you see or what you hear. You still won't believe. What matters is that we approach him with worship and with celebration. We approach him with worship because he's a God that wants to fill people with his glory. Now, here's the third thing that's really important. Not only does God want to fill us with his glory, and not only does God say the direct path to knowing his glory is through worship and service, he says the third thing we need to understand is that God's glory must be hosted. You say, what do you mean hosted, pastor? I mean that just as a church comes together and Everything that you see in the church, the, the building, the seating, the, the, uh, the, the things on the wall, the window images, whatever is there, everything is geared to say we are hosting the presence of God. Oh, I know that we can meet God anywhere and thank God we can meet God anywhere. Some of the most sacred moments of my life have been in church and many of the most sacred moments of my life have been in a place where God met me in despair and I wasn't anywhere near a church. God can meet us anywhere, but the principle that we need to latch on to is that whether we are in church or out of church, whether it's Sunday or Friday, uh, the, the principle we live by is that we are hosts of the presence of God. Now, don't get me wrong, our job is not to manage his presence, it's not to control his presence, but it's like this. Uh, I pastored uh, a brother that was in Japan for years uh, in military service, and he said that he attended Japanese church, uh, church there. He had married a Japanese lady, and so instead of going to the base on church, they went to a, a, a Japanese church. And he said, I found something interesting. He says, our English Bible says the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Well, that's true, and that's good. That's a good translation. He said, but this is what the Japanese Bible that my wife had expressed. When we worship God, we build a throne upon which he sits. We build a throne upon which he comes and sits. And loved ones, I say this to the newest Christian among us in the Christian life family. And I say it to the oldest, most seasoned saint. If we're not careful we can begin to take the very presence of God for granted. It's what Jack Hayford called dulling habit of coming into the presence of God. We don't keep our heart tender. We don't keep our spirit open. And even something as pure and powerful as the presence of, of the Lord becomes nothing more than dulling habit that causes us to forfeit the edge of God's presence and power. Um, Hayford said our hearts can become as hardened toward the presence and power of God as they can be hardened against it. I, I have spent my life watching people whose hearts are hard against the power and presence of God. 
And you'll think they'll never get saved. They'll never come to church. But during that same life, I have watched people in church week after week get callous and indifferent and hardened um, uh, toward the presence of God instead of being hardened against it. If we're not careful, loved ones, see, when we say God's glory must be hosted, if we live any way we want to, and I know none of us are perfect, I know that, um, we, we haven't come anywhere close to being perfect in our human existence, no matter how devout we are to the Lord. But if we're not careful, we will be like Samson, who had the Spirit of God come upon him in powerful ways. But what we find is that he played game after game after game. He touched the untouchable. He watched the unwatchable. He embraced the unembraceable for God's man. And when the Spirit of God left him and Delilah discovered his secret and cut his hair, the Scripture says he did not realize that the strength of the Spirit had departed. So we must be careful because not only does God want to cover me with his glory, and not only does God traffic his glory in the presence of worship and service, but I've got to remember that his glory must be hosted and I must never forget it. Now here's the fourth thing. God's glory is not restricted to his house, but to our house as well. With that in mind, you say, well, what do you mean our house? What is it that God wants to pour out his glory upon? The, the, the idea of house has four basic meanings in scripture. In um, the New Testament, it's oikos. The Old Testament Hebrew, the word is bayith. And it's expressed in basically four ideas. And the reason I'm doing this is because we need to understand that we... Um, need to begin to let God live out his glory in us, not just when we're at church, but in every area of life. Let me tell you the four ways that house is used in scripture. Number one, it's used for a residence as well as a property upon which it sits. Um, there's a passage in the gospels that said um, Jesus had come back to Capernaum and it says when they heard that Jesus was in the house, probably Simon Peter's home in Capernaum, they heard that Jesus was in that dwelling place, that house. Jesus would teach, as I said earlier, the wise man builds his house upon the rock. Okay, so God says, I want your physical property to be a place of my glory and a place of my dwelling. Um, someone that lived in what I think was a genuinely haunted house. I mean, boogery things went on in that house. And um, the, it, it, I, I don't want to give glory to the demons by telling you those stories. But this lady um, came to me and said, I'd like for you to come and pray this demon out of my house. And I said, Why, what, what made you come to me? And she said, well, there's a lady at work that said you and this church cast the devil out of her during service. And uh, that we don't, we don't have on our cards exorcism or anything like that. But I said, who is this? And she told me the person. And that person had been bound by demonic spirits and came to church and was really set free by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I understood what she was talking about. And... Um, I went to the house, I, I walked around it, and I, I 
experience the, the nature of that house. And I said, I want you to know, I believe that just as we did for your friend, we can come into a house and we can bind evil spirits. And, and I believe that that's possible. And she said, well, will you do it? I said, under one condition. She said, you want money? I said, no, I don't want money. Here's the condition. You need to become a follower of Jesus Christ. I said, I'm not trying to blackmail you, but I said, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand, Jesus said. And I want you to understand there's no value in me or our pastors or whomever coming and cleansing this house if you're going to keep on serving the devil. And she got very offended. She told me to leave. She never came back. I don't know what happened. I hope everything is fine now. But she did not understand, nor was I able to explain to her that God says, I even want my glory to dwell on that house you live in. That brick and mortar, I can fill that house with my glory. You know what it's like to go to someone's house and you don't know what caused it. You don't know what happened, but you walk in out of a, out of a atmosphere of turmoil and you just feel the peace that takes away all of that turmoil or you sleep better than you slept any time in your life. That may very well be the glory of God that dwells in that dwelling place. Well, it's not just dwelling places. Number two, the word house means a circle of relationships expressed by family ties. Um, that's why the Bible talks about the house of David um, and that God said, I will exalt and bless the house of David. Um, when David became king after Saul died, it says there was war for years between the house of David and the house of Saul. They were at war for seven years. Those houses weren't duking it out. But the family members were, were, were duking it out. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a circle of relationships expressed by family ties. In other words, there is a house here in Columbia that could be called the house of Stephen. But there is also a family made up of my children and, and my, my sons and daughters and, and sons and daughters-in-law. And that can be called the house of Stephen as well because there is influence. And whenever God says, I bless your house, I believe he blesses the house of my children. Now, there's a third meaning. Um, uh, and by the way, if, you're not, if I didn't make that clear, in Acts 16.31, um, when the Philippian jailer asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? And, and Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your house. You, he, he wasn't saying this structure is going to suddenly be transformed from a jailer's house to a church. He was saying your family, your children, your wife, all can come to the knowledge of Jesus. Okay. There's a third meaning of the word house, and it is indicative of the responsibility which we manage. Okay. Now God wants glory on the house in which I live. God wants glory on my family over which I have influence. And number three, God says, I will bless with my glory the responsibilities which you manage. Joseph, back in the book of Genesis, was placed in charge of the house of Potiphar and later the house of Pharaoh. And what that meant was he was in charge of the affairs 
of Potiphar and the affairs of Pharaoh. And the Bible speaks of Moses in Hebrews 3, 2. It says that he was faithful in regard to all the matters of his house. So God says, you can have my glory where you live. You can put your head on your pillow tonight and it be the sweetest sleep you've ever known. God says when your children grow up and leave home or if your parents live nearby or your siblings live um, under the influence of your life, they can be blessed with my glory as well. Paul would tell the, the women in the church at Corinth that were married to unbelievers. He said, understand this. He said, just because you are a believer, that doesn't mean that your family's going to be saved necessarily. But he did say this, because they are your household, I will bless them. I will cover them. And people that don't even know the Lord have a lot to be thankful for if they have people in their family praying for them. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, somebody said, so you were born in poverty. And Abraham Lincoln said, well, sir, nobody can be called poor who has a praying mother. It's the principle of the house. Now, there's one more thing that he said he'd bless that when he was talking about house, and that is it means a realm of influence. Those that we affect by our words, our presence, our love, our prayer, and our actions um, there was a household in my hometown, um, or, or my, my parents' hometown, that whenever a storm came, it was said that people would come, they were scattered out on those farms, and whenever there was a threat of a storm, they would do what they needed to do to batten down the hatches, and they would all congregate at the home of one person. It wasn't because their house was stronger, it wasn't because their house was bigger, it was because that person who lived in the house was known as a couple, a man and woman of prayer. And people understood, I want to live under the influence of this godly person. Now, how do we wrap this up? Let me give you three suggestions, three Christian life lessons. Here's number one. Loved ones, you and I need not only the forgiveness of sin, but we also need the restoration of that which sin has taken from us. Coming to Jesus is not just getting forgiven. It is that. We pass from death to life. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast you away. It is the forgiveness of sins. But there is also a process of holy living that begins little by little, the restoration, the repair the, the restoring of what sin has taken from you. So that's point number one. Number two, the glory of God is not always mystical in its form. In other words, uh, we think of the glory of God, we might, not, we, you know, we might think of clouds and voices in the sky and, and something really supernatural. But sometimes when God's glory comes, it's just a calming, settling effect. Nothing that's seen, nothing that can be touched in a physical, tangible, palpable way. But it changes the atmosphere. It changes the atmosphere. And God says, I will change your surroundings. I will put my glory on your house in such a quiet, subdued way. It may be there before you even realize it. Here's the third and last thing. If mystical moments do come, 
If God gives you a vision or God's glory comes in the form of a cloud, or you simply are waking up in the middle of the night with a still small voice speaking to you, and in your heart of hearts, you know it's God speaking like little Samuel did. Welcome the manifestation. Embrace the presence of God and keep pursuing what he wants. The bottom line of what we're sharing today to get us back on track is God said, I'm not only going to save you, but I am going to restore the quality of life that sin has taken from you. I'm going to enhance the spiritual side of your existence while weaning you off the natural side of your existence. Nothing wrong with the natural side, nothing wrong with life. But when this life takes on too much prominence and we forget the next life, we get in trouble. That's why Jesus says, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world but lost his soul? Nothing wrong with this world. I think we ought to live as comfortably as we can in this world. There's no point in being uncomfortable if you can be comfortable. But realize that everything in this life is temporary. And it's the spiritual realm that is being intensified in our lives and is being renewed day by day. Let me pray for you, okay, Father? Thank you for every man, woman, boy, and girl that's listening. And we thank you for the good news about June 7th and things are moving in the right direction. But Father, we want to be sure that we are refocused and rededicated. We want to be sure that we've not just heard some good news, but we want to be sure that we're obeying some good news. So thank you that there is glory on our house. Thank you that you're teaching us how to host it. And because of this decision, we can say like the great man of God said long ago, choose you this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love you guys. God bless you. Remember, you are loved, you are missed, and you are prayed for. See you soon.